Welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. Joining myself as ever this week, Stuart Court is joining me as ever, is Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I'm not bad. I, I keep forgetting that we people actually watch this when they've got really nothing else to do. And I come on this flipping show with a hoover on my left shoulder and a mop on my right. And it's pathetic, really. I mean, the lack of professionalism is... Uh, well, there's a flying animal on, yeah, on the screen as well. So, so, you know, actually, maybe I'm, uh, I'm only second out of three today, which is a nice bonus. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that sounded like a song like they just needed was it stuck in the middle with you that's yeah that's a collage, with, collage of wedding pictures stuck in the middle with me perfect yeah and, and golf is open and my hamstrings are tight Adam yeah tell me about it played for the first time in five months I'm, I'm, I'm aching in I'm aching on the inside of my elbows which I didn't even think was a place that you can ache but I think that's what uh, 33 does you just start to feel my mortality always so slightly which is quite terrifying yeah uh, this week's guest is the co-host of Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle and his own power hour straight after two is Mr. Paul Gallant welcome to the Pedostrian podcast Stu Adam thank you so much for bringing me on it's a pleasure Get to go international this time. I'm feeling it. I'm excited. Let's talk some stuff. <laughs> so people have tried to do a lot of different things. Adam, for example, is trying to get every Seahawk on Pro Football Reference onto the podcast. But you, every possibly one. braver and bolder, you want to find out more about Seahawks Twitter. Twitter. Yes. Yeah, it's a fascinating place. Um, so I, my first time... Um, in this industry was covering the mess formerly known as the Houston Texans. I'm not even sure if they're really a team anymore, but it's a different experience. Ever since I have come up here, I've been fascinated because I feel like Seahawks fans are significantly more intelligent, which has made me had to, you know, raise my level seeing as I'm uh, sometimes on top of things and it's been really fascinating i've gotten to talk to a bunch of different people uh, most recently i talked to uh, norb uh, who does norb cam on youtube he's this super 12 fan he's a lot of fun so we got to talk about just the experiences of going back into stadiums which we finally are going to be able to do shoot in two days holy smokes so i'm really uh it's it's been a lot of fun and um yeah, I'm glad you guys uh, at the very least are aware of it. <laughs> it's funny because I think Stuart and I often talk about the fact that as a show, I, I think we're very much not in Seahawk Twitter. And sometimes we lament the fact that, you know, it could get us a few thousand more listens a week. But actually, on balance, I think I'm quite happy being uh, away from the prying eye of uh, a, 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 a cesspit at times, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, but it's a fun cesspit. There's something it about is. it that, that cracks me up. I, I like how it's divided into schisms. There's people that are like, oh, Russell Wilson, this guy, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's trying to get all the power. And there's like Pete Carroll. Oh, Pete Carroll can't do anything. He's old. He's 175 years old. And I, I just enjoy the back and forth. And I like to sit in the middle. I have found myself leaning towards Team Pete a little bit more recently. But look, ultimately, this is the funny part of the whole thing is that they don't know how bad it is. And yet they quabble <laughs> over some very small things, whatever the case, I I've, I've very much enjoyed my time. And now it's been shoot a year and a half here in Seattle and uh, <laughs> my interactions sometimes rather hostile with them. I've been amused by all of them. <laughs> so how quickly did you pick up on that? Cause I don't think I've ever met a Texans fan. 
Yeah. Uh, so how, how, well, you're not how, talking to one. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how, how quickly did you pick up the fact that the Seahawks fan was boisterous? And I, I knew already. I, yeah. I, I had a pretty good idea of what I was getting into, but it's one thing to see it from afar. It's another thing to actually dive into it. Because I, when I was in Houston with my um, co-host, Seth Payne, and for those who don't know, Seth is awesome. I, I think he's a tremendously talented host. He used to play football for the Jaguars, for the Texans for a while. And he and I started to, I think, I'm not going to act like we discovered Mina Kimes, but before Mina Kimes had been the, he became like the apple of ESPN's eye. We, we thought she was hilarious. And that kind of got us into just taking a look at Seahawks Twitter. We were like, Oh wow, these people, these people are something else. <laughs> Cause in Houston, everyone's just basically like, yep, everything's terrible. Bad things are going to happen. And whether it's Bill O'Brien or, Oh my goodness, all these awful things that are going on allegedly with Deshaun Watson. It's kind of one of those things where whether it's the Oilers blowing a 35-3 lead or you just sort of assume the worst when it comes to football in Houston, Texas. Yeah, oh, oh, but one thing in Houston, how was it covering a good baseball team? It was something else. Now, it's kind of weird. I, I have all these things on the wall commemorating my time there. I, I did a show for like eight straight hours the night they won the World Series until four in the morning or taking calls. I was drinking champagne. It was great. And now all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, but they cheated. So <laughs> <laughs> crap. <laughs> Does that next series still count? Hey, look, they didn't strip away the banner. But uh, yeah, it was fun. Um, I got to say, though, uh, and maybe I'm being a little bit too positive, but I, I have liked what I've seen from the Mariners in my year and a half here. I don't know if that out waste 20 years of experience for Mariners fans but um, uh, I'm excited to see what happens on Thursday hopefully that excitement will carry over <laughs> into May and into June etc I was thinking that obviously yeah going from the Astros to the Mariners and the Texans to the Seahawks and you know starting off in Boston is there like a sweet spot of a team of how good you want a team to be that makes them the perfect kind of level to cover because I kind of feel that if you're a Patriots guy, you know, and you turn into Scott Zolak and, you know, just that kind of arsehole for, for 10 years, <laughs> yeah, he might be your best mate, in which case I apologize. No, but no, no, no. I, I can't. I, 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 he gives off that impression. <laughs> I I'm sure he isn't, but that's, a, you know, on the, the recaps I've yeah, heard of yeah. him. But I kind of feel like the, the way in which the Seahawks are going this year might be that perfect sweet spot because it kind of has to happen this year or something is going to be explosive at the end of it. And that must be quite exciting going into a year um, to, to, to cover that. You know, it, I, I think a lot of people believe that we feel that way. And, and I can understand why. It definitely makes content a lot easier. I would say that ultimately, I try to still keep the sports fan alive inside of me. And I've, I mean, I've lived in a bunch of different places. I, I grew up South Shore of Massachusetts, lived there for 14 years, went to high school in, in St. Petersburg, Florida. So that's in Tampa Bay. Mm -hmm. um, I was there during the Gruden Bucks years after they had won the Super Bowl and kind of realized in firsthand, like in high school, listening to sports radio, oh, wow, Gruden's a bit of a two-face. Um, and I, I would say that having grown up watching that team in New England, you always want the team to be great. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't care if if – there's drama going on or not. I, I think that when there's a great team, people always want to talk about them. They bring people together. And I, I would say that right now where the Seahawks are is, Hey, they're relevant consistently every single year. I would like a little bit less of this drama to be perfectly honest. <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, it's been fun. We've had some fun conversations on the air, but ultimately too, you, you have this almost feeling in the back of your mind, like, wait a second is, are we actually seeing the, 
end of the tunnel and it's a brick wall and are we about to hit it fairly soon or is it you know a couple of years away i I don't think there's really a, a, a setting that I necessarily prefer other than I want the team to be good and not bad because <laughs> bad, <laughs> you guys saw it with the start in 2013 when uh, Richard Sherman had the pick six on Matt Shaw. That started a great run for the Seahawks. That started the disaster of a 14 game <laughs> losing streak for the Texans. And uh, <laughs> never again, please, for the love of God. <laughs> so obviously the fan base has been put to test. What What is your read on the Russell Wilson situation, should we say, as we talk? I've gotten a taste for his uh, flair for dramatics and theatrics. Um, you know, you go back to 2018 with the contract negotiations, and I, I, this is probably just a carryover effect from it. I feel like maybe there's more vitriol between Russell Wilson's agent, Mark Rogers, and, and uh, the general manager, John Schneider, than there really might be any acrimony between Russ and the actual Seahawks themselves. I think Russ has his own feelings on how to go about doing things. And I do think that as a athlete that has accomplished things that he has, I can understand why he feels the way that he does. But I also think that he's got a, a bigger ego than a lot of quarterbacks out there. And I'm not also going to fault him for that. A lot of quarterbacks do. I mean, it's been annoying to me, but it's not for me to say like, Oh, he shouldn't be like that. He is who he is. I feel like he is looking at this situation right now. And he is thinking about himself through the, actions of first off what you saw can, uh, Kansas city and Patrick Mahomes doing in the super bowl running for his life. And also I think looks at Tom Brady and he's like, shoot. I mean, if I want to be the greatest quarterback of all time, I have to win six more super bowls. <laughs> and you know, at age 32, I could understand. I mean, I'm going to turn 32 soon as well. You can look at your career and you're like, wait, am I where I want to be? Have I done enough? So I, I, I do get some of it. I don't know if I agree with the way that he's gone about it. And while his agent has been, I think the primary actor, like Ross has really been pushed into saying a lot of the things that he has said by masterful interviewers like Dan Patrick or in that zoom session after the Walter Payton man of the year awards, where he essentially got boxed into finally saying like, Hey, look, this is what's happening. But ultimately I, I, I do think that things are getting better. And that this can be put in the rearview mirror entirely if the team plays better this coming season. That's just going to be a lot more difficult given what the rest of the NFC West has been doing over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. In terms of playing better, um, last year was crystallized with the Let Russ Cook um, yeah. slogan that, that dominated. Yeah. And, it, you know, and he, you know, he, here come the aprons and the pots and pans and the spatulas, which will not be seeing their way into Adam Nathan catering kitchen. I can tell you that for nothing. Um, but it's interesting when it comes to Wilson, because you have in general, and this is quite reductive, the local media seem to be pretty on board with what Pete Carroll is doing and the process and the system. And the national media seem very, opposite to that and they whenever you listen to the national media in general the general thing you're going to get is they don't let russell wilson throw enough pete carroll wants to run the ball too much let russ cook or whatever but the interesting thing for me is that i find that a lot of the local fans side with the national media on this as opposed to the local media and i'm wondering if well i don't know if, if i'm looking for a reason for that but just if there's any if, if that affects how you do things at all i'm not saying that you, I'm, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth and what you think no. but it's interesting to me that you've got the fan side with the national when typically you would expect the fans that check the team the most would side with the national media who watches uh, the local media who watch the team 
the majority of the time. It's an interesting dynamic. I, I, I think that there are actually more people that are in local media that would side with Russ over with Pete. And I think they look at it from the perspective of Russ is 32, the super talent, and he's going to be here for a while. We want him here as long as possible. And whatever it takes to keep him here, whether it means moving on from Pete Carroll or John Schneider or whatever, they're willing to do it. And I also get that line of thinking. I mean, it, it, it does make sense. And if you take a look at the way that the NBA has been trending, that's that's generally the direction. I, I have also found, while I like to ignore sometimes national opinions, when there are so many of the same national opinions, you have to say, all right, well, where is this all coming from and who mm-hmm. is being talked to? I would say that if you want to put together like a maybe a flow chart of all of the people that have been talking about the Seahawks on a regular basis, the one that I would focus on the most is Colin Cowherd because there is a little bit of a connection there. And I feel like Coward is actually getting some messages through either Mark Rogers, Russell Wilson's agent, or perhaps through back channels to Russ. I feel like at the very least, he has a decent idea of what's going on, at least in the mind of him. And it's funny because we talk about Colin Coward a lot. And I think a lot of people assume hot take artist. I, I don't really hundred percent get that vibe. I mean, they're the screaming on television show guys that I think are the ones that generally are doing that uh, quite a bit more, but I, I think locally, it's I think it's a little more split local media. And, and that's, I think, also what's so interesting about it, whether it's the fan base where I would say the demographic tends to be a lot older, those who are siding with Pete and then the younger one who we were like, this guy's some old coot who doesn't know what he's doing, which is interesting. I mean, Pete Carroll's the youngest 70 year old I've ever met. I've, I am shocked that he's 70. He makes me feel old on a regular basis when we talk to him in person. Um, so that's sort of the back and forth that's been taking place. And I try to walk down the middle. I, I think having somewhat fresh eyes gives me a little bit of an advantage on that. But I know as someone who you know grew up watching and rooting for Tom Brady that you got to be a little careful when you're constantly comparing yourself to that of Brady or when you're comparing the expectations that you have for a team to something that was just absolutely preposterous that was done in the NFL. I mean, geez, 20 years of success. I mean, they didn't have a losing season from the year 2000 to this past season, which is just an insane number of years in a row to be that successful. And then you assume that you can do that every single year. The Patriots kind of broke the whole thing as far as how to properly evaluate your team and appreciate what you have in front of you. Um, So that was a long tangent of an answer, but uh, (laughs) we'll appreciate that. Um, It's, it's been, I think there are some things nationally that you have to listen to is, and I think that whenever you hear them consistently said, you have to start digging. And I've been trying to do that as best I can. So have you and Danny, because you're the first voices people hear if they tune into your station of a morning, do you, you and Danny enjoying like the Lester Freeman press dynamic? You could be having going, trying to break codes and break messages uh, yeah. messages coming through. It's been interesting. I, I think we both got to a point though where we're both a little tired of Ross. <laughs> and and uh, but th- this morning was interesting because uh, Danny is now looking at the entire situation and he's seeing that the Los Angeles Rams they they traded all they they did for for Matt Stafford and and the 49ers are of course making an aggressive move to do something with that number three pick. And now all of a sudden he's like, you know what? I just want Russ here. 
I know it's annoying, <laughs> but I just want Russ here no matter what. And I'm like, wait a second. We're just going to move on from these five months, like, or five weeks. It, was, no, it wasn't five months. It feels like five weeks. We're just going to move on from these five weeks like it didn't happen. So that's really my only issue right now. Is it, can, can I at least get a, hey, the Seahawks are good, as opposed to, oh, go Hawks. Yeah, we're fine. You know, like that, that's the, that's the one annoyance that I have right now. Though some people make it out to me to be me uh, hating Russ. And I can understand why, I guess, but I don't hate Russ. I, I like no, watching Russ a great deal. I watch Brock Osweiler. I'm, I'm done with bad quarterbacks. Look, all of us love Russell Wilson being on our team. I think if Russell Wilson was traded to another team, we'd love seeing him get smacked in the head 396 times again in the next If he forced his way out, yes. If he forced his way out. But the interesting thing for me is... um. I was listening to Joe Fan's podcast and he had Mike Robinson on uh, last week and he asked Mike, you know, do you still speak to Russ? And he said, no, you know, I, I don't have a relationship with him. Very few people do. And he said, you know, he even named checked Robert Turbin as someone who has a relationship. And then obviously in our show with, with Doug a couple of weeks ago, we were just talking before we started recording that Doug said an awful lot about their relationship without saying a lot. And that seems to permeate through a lot of the, the older guys and the, the people that, really defined the decade of Seahawks football. And I'm just wondering if, although Russ has got supreme confidence in his own ability, he's kind of putting himself in a difficult position where there's so much on him to succeed because I'm a bit worried there's going to be an awful lot of people ready with an aha moment if, you know, the, the ice breaks from underneath him. And it's getting thinner and thinner by the, the more he sort of seems to want to isolate himself. Yeah, that, that, uh, it, must be, it must be weird living that way. I mean, he lives in, I, I think his own bubble with his wife and his family and, and also the, the immediate supporting cast. I, I don't know if you guys have, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you did. There's this article way back in the day, someone passed it along to me over the last couple of weeks. And I read it. It was by uh, Greg Bishop in sports illustrated and just talks about Russell Wilson's essentially um, closest group, which mm. includes Mark Rogers, agent and Mark Rogers son. And it, it's, it was an interesting group. And it, I mean, there were, things that I found a little bit surprising about just Greg Bishop's encounter with court, the court of Russell Wilson mm. and maintaining those relationships over time. Like he's a quarterback. I mean, there are so many people that go in and out of his life, whether it's on the football field or in just, you know, business opportunities and things like that. So I can, I can see how maybe for him, it's a little difficult, but at the same time, yeah, it is very clear that he, that he's someone that keeps to himself. And he's also someone that I think this year, coming out of last season where they start off the season great. They have a stretch where they don't play so well. And he's one of the main reasons for that stretch where they didn't play so well. I mean, we all know him as a guy who rarely turns the football over and he turned it over 10 times over uh, three games over a span of four weeks. And that was surprising. And then the rest of the season, it wasn't the same, but it wasn't as if they stopped trying to make the offense go through Russ. It just stopped working. And to me, it felt like at the end of the year, Russ was trying to sort of distance himself from the struggles of the offense as if it weren't his problem because he came to them with some solutions. Well, Russ came to them with solutions, at least from that piece in the athletic after two of the games where he had the most turnovers. So timing wise, probably not the best time to go to your coach and say, I've got some ideas. Russ, you turned the ball seven, seven times the last uh, two weeks. You turned it over. Uh, yeah, but I've got some ideas. And then they say, well, eh, you know, we're not going to really listen to them that much. And then he storms out and it almost set up this narrative as if all oh, well, the second half of the season, where by the way, the Seahawks were six and two and dramatically improved on the defensive side of the football as if, 
that side of that time, that part of the season didn't happen. It was just an offensive regression the rest of the way. They played good defenses, and yeah, there was some offensive regression. The offensive line got banged up. I think Brian Schottenheimer's limitations. We kind of we we saw the we saw the limit. I think of an impact that he can have on an offense. There's a lot of variety of factors that led to the Seahawks offense struggling the way that it did down the stretch. I don't think Tyler Lockett was 100, but it all felt like Russell Wilson was trying to distance himself from all of it at the end of the year. And what's interesting is, from the national perspective, the guy, the, the side of things that you guys are seeing, Stu and Adam, is that this is all of a sudden a team that is not listening and not paying attention and not doing anything that Russell Wilson wants. And I, I just don't think that was necessarily the case this past season. I think their offensive line took a step forward and I'm intrigued to see what they'll do next year with Shane Waldron. But now I'm looking at Shane Waldron and I kind of feel bad for him. I mean, this is a really <laughs> tough situation to be put in. Yeah. Your first NFL gig at this level and you've got the circus uh, in town. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, the Seahawks elsewhere outside of Russell Wilson have been busy they haven't really done much out of the ordinary. Resigned Carlos Dunlap last week. Kerry Hyde has come over from the Niners. Gabe Jackson's probably the biggest splash, but also a late round pick for a veteran who improves the line is something Schneider's done for most. What's your read on how everything else the Seahawks have done has gone and will affect the team in 2021? They definitely upgraded with Gabe Jackson at left guard, and they only had to give up a fifth round pick to do it. I think some people are getting a little stressed by the fact that the Seahawks only have three draft picks. I'm not someone that puts a lot of excitement behind the concept of what a draft pick can be. I think a lot of people love the potential attached to a first round pick or a second round pick or a third round pick. To me, give me a, give me a veteran that can play now. You're not going to likely find that in the fifth round or the sixth round or the seventh round. And over the last couple of seasons, I've liked what John Schneider has done after the Frank Clark trade in trading later round draft picks for veterans, whether it's a rental third round pick for Jadevian Clowney or fifth round pick for Quandre Diggs, two first round picks for Jamal Adams. It was a lot, but your defense was getting a little desperate. Carlos Dunlap for uh, a fifth round pick. I, I forget what the trade for Quinton Dunbar was. Uh, was it a fifth? Was it a sixth? I forget off the top of my head. And now, and now Gabe Jackson, they have been approaching things from the perspective of we're more likely to find a veteran that we know than finding a guy in the back of the draft like we were able to do in 2011 and 2012. And I, I, I think that that strategy is a good one. I know people want to see them spend big in free agency. I get it. I think the people that they were hoping, though, Seahawks fans, that the Seahawks would get, like a Joe Tooney on the offensive line. I'm always a little hesitant about New England Patriots offensive linemen when they leave the nest. We just saw two guys like Nate Solder had to restructure his contract and um, – uh, Trent Brown got traded back to New England for a seventh round pick um, from the Raiders. So I, I, I think that they took a step forward on the offensive line. And, and then the other important things are, okay, they, they took a couple of flyers on Kerry Hyder and uh, Akella Witherspoon. Hyder is someone who's produced. I mean, he's had a couple of eight sack seasons and you're hoping that he can actually give you a little bit more than maybe Jaron Reed was. Jaron Reed, a little inconsistent for my taste. Akella Witherspoon has a lot of measurables that are intriguing and supposedly at the beginning of the 2019 season at least 49 or people will claim this he looked like one of he looked like the best corner on the team did not last very long and then after that um i'm I'm intrigued by gerald everett of course he worked with shane waldron nothing they've done is like blowing you out of the water sexy but 
what I liked the most is that they kept Chris Carson and they kept Carlos Dunlap. Yeah. And I think those were going to be absolutely critical for offensively. There's a way that the Seahawks want to go about it with Chris Carson back. And then for on the defensive side of things, Carlos Dunlap, when he joined the defense, it just became a unit that actually was competent. Yeah. Was, think, sorry, sorry, do you mean looking a few weeks ago, it looked like a roster filled with enormous holes. We thought Carson's gone. We assumed Dunlap was gone. Um, they've certainly filled those holes with bodies, but I think in, in English soccer, we have a thing whereby the longer someone gets injured for, the better player they become because you think, oh, we'll get him back and we'll, we'll be flying. And I feel like someone like Akella Witherspoon and Gerald Everett, I could say Akella Witherspoon and you'd be pumped. But I could say Akella Witherspoon and you might be a bit more disappointed. And I kind of feel there's a lot of that in the roster right now that could elevate itself to being better. But I feel like we also could see a lot of the same as last year, if not worse in some key positions, notably in the secondary. Are you, are you getting a steer on what the, the general consensus is of that over there? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Look, they're rolling the dice on themselves and their ability to evaluate defensive backs. And you know what? They've had a good track record with it. So who am I to say like, oh, you guys, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm curious to see what they'll, able, they'll be able to do with the killer Witherspoon. And, and look, the Dunbar trade, uh, Dunbar, I think, was either number one or number two on Pro Football Focus mm-hmm. in 2019. And I mean, while I liked what he did in that Patriot game, he, he had a knee issue that was nagging him. And on top of the knee issue, he apparently never really picked up Pete's defense the way that Pete wanted him to. So that's a bit of a problem for them. With Witherspoon, I mean, the bright side is the last guy that you brought over at cornerback from San Francisco, DJ Mm -hmm. Reed. I mean, even though he's exactly not a prototypical Pete Mm -hmm. Carroll cornerback, he played really well. So maybe it'll be an easy transition for Akilo Witherspoon coming from a Robert Sala defense to this one. That's what I'm at the very least looking at and hoping for. But you're right. There is a lot of could going on here, but you're forced to operate from a, hey, we could get X out of this guy, Y out of this guy. Every team has holes. And I tend to think that the team that you follow most closely, you're going to assume that they are terrible at the draft, Mm -hmm. that they are terrible at game management decisions, and – that they're not able to go in free agency and spend the way that you want them to. And I think that's honestly, that's probably like 80% of fan bases across the NFL that are all saying the exact same thing. Game management is hard. Pete Carroll knows this. He's still (laughs) working on it. It's a work in progress for him this little far into his career. Most teams struggle with the draft. So I guess I'm just really patient and calm with it. I understand why others aren't. And maybe you feel like there's a little more urgency because Russell Wilson was sort of, you know, airing out his feelings and stuff, but not every single team is perfect. And there are certain parts of the team where you have to bet that you're going to be able to find a diamond in the rough. And honestly, I, I think the Seahawks track record, at least at cornerback, means that we should give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, at least at that position. And there's also one more hopefully former 49ers cornerback who's about to make his way back to Seattle as well. So there's still one more out there. I would Um, love to see Richard Sherman back here, especially after the drama of this off season. How would that be? (laughs) Richard Sherman and Russ back in the same locker room. Yeah. It would be one of those positions as well. Cause it mean, there's a lot of this. There seems to be a buildup of chat around KJ Wright and his next move. And none of it seems to be involved in the Seahawks. They're They're going to go into a season with Jordan Brooks, second year, Bobby Wagner is obviously, still the best linebacker 
middle linebacker in the league. And eh, then, I don't know about that. And then a massive question mark at the other linebacker spot. That seems to be the, the spot for me on that defensive side of the ball, which has the biggest questions to answer over the next between now and September 12th or whatever week one is. Yeah. We'll see what happens with KJ Wright. It sounds like there's some interest from Dallas, and I'm not surprised by that, given that uh, Dan Quinn's there, the ex-Seahawks defensive coordinator. I will say, um, as far as Wagner goes, not to say that Wagner's not one of the best linebackers in the NFL. I just think Devin White on Tampa Bay is better. And honestly, there were times last year where I liked Fred Warner a little bit better. Mm. Interestingly enough, I said that going into one week between the Seahawks and 49ers that Fred Warner was better, and then Bobby had his best game of the year. They were not, I think, always putting Bobby Wagner in the best position to succeed. So I can understand why maybe this year, if you watch it on film, didn't exactly look the way that I wanted it to. You know, I kind of came here with the assumption, having played with the Seahawks and Madden, that Bobby Wagner would just kill everybody. Because if you play with Bobby Wagner and Madden, he's the most terrifying player on the field. Um, But... uh, Linebacker is going to be interesting. I, I, you know, KJ Wright's the free agent. I thought KJ Wright was their best linebacker last year. I think that when they moved him to to strong side linebacker, maybe I just like strong side linebackers because I actually like what Michael Kendricks brought to the table the year before, and a lot of people are like, "What?" Um, KJ Wright fit into that role, I thought, seamlessly, and he will be missed. The Seahawks probably won't be in their base defense every single play, but you do have to bet on the talent that you bring in. Jordan Brooks. I think, I think he's, I think he's got something special. I know it's a weird pick to make at the back of the first round. A lot of the nerdier side of Seahawks Twitter are going to argue, well, that's not a good value pick. Well, screw value. If the, if you like the player draft, the player, it's the back of the first round. Stop acting like it's a top 10, top five pick. This is a, I think guy who has not just speed, but a physicality that, you need to have at that linebacker position. And he's also shown the ability that he can cover too. So it's definitely a position where you got to wonder, okay, well, what, what does Cody Barton give us? What is, what are the rest of the guys? Uh, ben Burkirvin, who's more of a special teams player. What do these other linebackers bring to the table? And if they lose KJ Wright, that will be a loss. But I think the good news is that as far as a KJ Wright return and knock on wood, this could change obviously while I'm talking right now, but it sounds like the only interest in KJ Wright is from a team like Dallas and he wants a two year deal. It seems. And from what I read in the latest with the conversations with Dallas, they haven't even gotten to the money talk yet. They've just been talking about years and Dallas is only willing to offer one year. So hopefully that stays true. Cause I would like to see Russell. Well, excuse me. I would like to see KJ Wright back here. Yeah. Um, also, also the biggest thing I think I said on this pod during the season with uh, Jordan Brooks was every time he got on the field, he looked better than the time before which is all we kind of really want to see from a rookie, no matter what round he was. And also KJ Wright, another guy who's been on this pod this 2021 calendar year as well, which is, yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, well, we, we had Danny on last year. Um, do you ever think he will come out of his shell a bit? What do you mean by that? <laughs> I think he's joking. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I, don't so, I don't know about him. I, I, look, I, uh, I'm very fortunate to have him as a, as a co-host. He has, he has been big brotherly to me. And I, I mean that every single sense of the word. I mean, it's, you know, it's not easy to move to a new place, especially to move to a new place in, in the midst of a pandemic. And he's been really like a big brother the entire way around. And I, God, I love that cackle. Whenever you can get him to laugh that way, there's just something about it that makes you get like a super extra, like little fist pump inside. It's great. Um, (laughs) 
God, yeah, he's, he's he, he is he is quite the personality. That is for darn short. Yeah, so that must make those earlier starts easier though. When you got someone with that energy to bounce off, and uh, all that's too early for me. Yeah, right. I mean, like, look, I'm I'm I have a. Hang on a sec. Oh crap! Well, I've been reading a bunch of like Seattle sports books, trying to catch up. And as you can see, like this is a book about the '95 Mariners and the early Mariners, and I've like trying <laughs> I'm trying my best to like learn things and remember things, but nothing better than as opposed to me reading the book than someone who's been here the last 20 years, both as a beat writer for the Seahawks, but also as a beat writer for the Seattle Sonics too, uh, the Supersonics. He he knows his stuff and the insight that he brings because he's still I, I think it's a lost art as a journalist to be able to build the kind of relationships where people trust you enough to have off the record conversations with you. And those off the record conversations, like I know there's a bunch of things that that I, I haven't really been able to get out of Danny because he's keeping people that he talks to very closely, you know, close to the vest, but he is still very connected to some ex Seahawk players to ex Mariner players, ex, you know, ex whatever. And I I think that the way that he goes about those relationships and cultivating it, I'm trying to learn from that and, and, and to do that myself, a little difficult again, because we haven't been able to see anybody for like a year. Do you believe it's been a year? What the heck? I know, incredible. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's a fascinating market overall because I feel like Seattle sports, aside from you know, the Sonics championship that they had and a couple of college championships, wasn't a hell of a lot of success going on in the pro game. And then all of a sudden, Richard Sherman, Marshawn Lynch come in like an absolute wrecking ball and change the whole attitude of a town when it comes to sports and they win. And they give a feeling of we need to win and we need to keep winning um, to a lot of, of, of the fans. But it's interesting because on our like UK Facebook group, we've got quite a few older American fans who quite regularly say, I don't know what you guys are moaning about. You should have seen what we were like in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. But I, and I get it. I get it because when you have gone through that, you know, at some point you get good and then you think, well, you know, why are you being so ungrateful? But not to conflate a pandemic with anything, you know, to do with sports. But if anything gives you an indication of your mortality and kind of yeah. what, how life goes on and how you've got to take as many things as you can, it, it should be this, right? We've had a year of our lives taken away from us. And I feel like I'm getting more desperate to win and I am a newer fan, but I'm wondering what you feel about the general market because I'm often made to feel like I'm ungrateful for wanting the best team that we're going to have for a while win. And I feel no like one should ever tell time. you you're ungrateful as a sports fan. And, and look, I'll, I'll say this as probably the most spoiled sports fan ever growing up Patriots <laughs> fan at one point being a Red Sox fan before we had a nasty divorce. Uh, and I mean, shoot. I, I like Florida Gator football. Like they've always been good. Uh, I, I, I like the Tampa Bay lightning. Cause I lived in Tampa Bay for a little bit. I'm weird. Like my fans, my fanhood lies all over the place. I do kind of seem like that obnoxious, like, Oh wow. You're a Yankees and Lakers and Duke and, and Cowboys fan. Like I, I kind of come off like that a little bit at, from time to time, but I don't have the belief that you should always expect the most out of your team. Uh, even if it's a local team and that you don't have to defend them to the death every single time. And yeah, you can be grateful, but things change and expectations have changed. And those expectations have been different for a while. Like I know there was the Jim Mora Jr. Jr. I don't know why I said it like 
Sean Connery, rest in peace. Uh, I, there, there was the Jim Mora Jr. era in between, but I mean, shoot, from Mike Holmgren to now, I mean, this has been an unbelievable run from two different eras of head coach, whether it was Matt Hasselback, you know, in the, in the mid uh, to early 2000s to where we're at now. This, this has expectations-wise changed. And yeah, it's not like there weren't bad years in the middle or annoying years where you're watching three, three or six, three games against the Browns with Charlie Whitehurst under center. But uh, um, you, you should never be told that you're being, that you're being uh, ungrateful. You know, every, everyone's allowed to fan in the way that they want to. And some people like to fan in a way where you're, you're kind of looking at this team, like it's your kid or like it's your significant other and you're wanting the most out of it, but it's never going to be perfect. And yet at the end of the day, you can still appreciate them. Even if you are, you know, like mad at them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're a Patriots fan who had, who bought gate, the word gate on the end of things back into the oh, uh, God. public conscience. Then you're Florida, oh. Gator, Florida Gator who had that yeah. rather interesting urban Meyer team, as it turned out as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, you know what <laughs> they they let some things slide there. Huh? <laughs> Certainly seems that way. Uh, one one thing back on your on your seven ten show, we re- I realized over the weekend that this now means we have a Danny Gallant full house bingo full house because we've had yourself, we've had Danny, we've also had Mora and Jessamine as well back back in the day on the show over the last awesome. hundred fifty odd episodes. So I love Jess. I miss we- Jess. Uh, more and more is great. Je- Jess, Jess, like big sisterly. Also, will get you into shape of you <laughs> acting a fool so I, I like doing a bit of research on our guests when they're coming on and so uh oh. one of the one of the three I, I i reached out and said look we've got paul coming on have you got any any gossip that i can use on the show and oh, one God. of them who, who's who will remain unnamed she uh, she, oh, she or he i may say i may say not to give anything away uh asked uh, me to talk to you about flag football and uh, how oh, that may have gone for you so I don't know if you guys take, uh, <laughs> that's really funny. I'm guessing that was Jess. Uh, <laughs> I, so I, I wanted to play in the NFL so badly. I can't, I can't explain how badly I wanted it. And I didn't work as hard as I needed to, to get there, by the way. So it's not as, I, I kind of thought it was just going to come naturally, but. How far did you uh, get? I played in, I played in high school, <laughs> you know, like that's not, that's good enough. But most people in, 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 in the States, if you play football, you're going to be able to get to the high school level. I like to think I was very good. I was probably good, mm-hmm. maybe above average, whatever the case, I still play flag football a lot mm-hmm. as much as I can. I haven't been able to this past year. It's been driving me crazy, but that's how I get all my testosterone and my anger out. And yeah, I take it way too seriously. Like everyone hates me when they play with me. I'm talking trash. I'm saying mean things. I am not myself. I'm an entirely different person out on that field. Like I'm yelling mean things, getting in people's faces. And after the game, I'm like, oh, good game, man. You know, like I act like I, <laughs> the the public face that people are generally used to, it kind of comes back. But uh, yeah, and I, and I, <laughs> I've brought it up from time to time on the show. And I realize I've been realizing now, like I did it in Houston and people kind of like thought it was funny because I was doing it not entirely seriously. But when I started bringing it up here, people were like, why are you bringing this up? No one cares. This is like worse than bringing up high school football playing days, which by the way, weren't even that good. So I've gotten better, but that it used to be sort of a running gag where I'd be like, yeah, you know, I love flag football. I love playing any kind of 
intramural sports, basketball too. I miss it. Really miss it. Sounds like uh, most of the guys down the local power league here, Stu, don't you think? We have <laughs> yeah. a, I don't know if you know what power league is like. A, it's basically like a football field size cut into lots of five-a-side fields, so five-on-five five and power oh, league nice. is, like, is a massive, massive thing over here. And yeah, people take it very seriously, me oh, included. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Everyone's yeah. a regular David Beckham or, uh, you know, <laughs> back in my day, you know, I would have been a, I would have been playing for uh, uh, Chelsea. And, and if I'm going to leave, oh, the, my knee hurt. <laughs> if I'm going to go out and stand in the pissing rain for an hour, run around, I at least want to try and win whilst I'm doing it. If it could, otherwise, what's the yeah! point? Yeah, God. What's you the know, point otherwise? It's some of the stuff that that again, no one cares. But some of the stuff that we've played in here, like the when it gets like cold monsoon. Oh my God, it's miserable. I don't know how people like people play high school sports here, like around. I wouldn't say like late October through February or anything outside. Cause it's never like it's snowy. It's just, just dry. Like, and not even necessarily even driving rain. It's just cold and rain, which is the worst I think combination that you can have as far as outdoor elements. I'd rather play in the snow to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Uh, Adam, any thoughts? Yeah, I was thinking of just to back on, on the team situation, and I wonder if this is something that comes up. Um, I found the exit interview that Pete Carroll did at the end of the season really interesting, and I think Michael Sean Dugar asked him about who holds you accountable. Um, and he mentioned his sons, and he mentioned a guy who he nicknames Potato uh, as someone who holds him accountable. So I'm not going to you know, hold someone called Tater as maybe the, the bastion of, of accountability. But one thing that did strike me is that he said, you know, I speak to my guys, John speaks to his guys, and then we come back uh, and we talk about it together. And there's, you see, you know, PCJS as, a, as an acronym so regularly. And it struck me that it was, it was interesting that for the first time, I felt they were talking about two sides that then come back and, and talk to each other. And I wonder if we're starting to see maybe it's PC, spacebar, 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 JS, and maybe a slight fissure between the two camps. Interesting that you mentioned it as a fisher. It is definitely a partnership with the way that it's been described to me. And it's going to be impossible to know exactly how all of the sausage is made without, you know, sitting with these guys every single day for the course of a year. But I do think that John Schneider has his own directive and what he wants on the roster. And I, I think for Pete, he has a different idea from time to time and, and that they do meet in the middle. I don't know if it's a fisher, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on is that the contract extensions that they have signed recently are staggered where Pete Carroll's contract expires before that of John Schneider. Now, I don't know if that's because Pete has an idea of when he's going to walk away, but I do think it means that as time goes on, John Schneider's fingerprints will be on more of it. I have always found it interesting. And I think that this is something that again, kind of comes through because I do think that there's some acrimony between Russell Wilson's agent and John Schneider, but there is, I think this notion that Pete tells John what to do. And I don't know that I buy that. And I've heard Pete a couple of times talk about things that he wants to do in the draft. I think there was this interview. He was, it was flying coach podcast that he did with uh, Steve Kerr during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about Chris Carson and I guess how in the draft Pete, we all know how he loves running backs was I think nudging um, John Schneider, like, Hey, can we get him? Can we get him? Can we get him over the course of the draft? And John kept waiting and they got him in the seventh round. 
and and I, I think that they might have a general idea consensus wise when they meet together and overlook, like say for a draft guys who they want and same thing for free agency. But I, I really do think that this is a partnership. I'm curious about what you mentioned though, like going forward. I, I don't think that it exists right now, any sort of Fisher, but I think just naturally over time, it could be that way. And, you know, I mean, there were talks about John going to Detroit. I don't know if they were as serious as perhaps some made them out to be. It might've been, you know, in, in the case of John, a way that he could get a little extra cheddar out of the Seahawks. But this will, I think at one point be John Schneider's team. And we might be talking about a world without Pete Carroll, which is hard to imagine just given how youthful he seems to be still at the uh, very young age of uh, 69 years old. Also, I mean, John Schneider's biggest guy is the quarterback because obviously he banged the drum for him. There was chat in 2011 that Pete wanted Andy Dalton and obviously waited a year, had the year of T-Jack and then Schneider waited and waited pretty much as long as he could before taking his guy and that changed pretty much everything, Adam. Yeah, he is, I think, and I base this off of some of the quarterbacks that he we know he's evaluated over the last couple of years. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, which Russell Wilson took issue with. Look, if you're a general manager and you're not evaluating quarterbacks, you're not doing your job right. I am very curious as to who he might view as the next quarterback. This draft is weird. I would be very surprised if they decided. I, I joked about it this morning. I don't actually want them to go about doing this, but I said like, yeah, you know, the Seahawks should draft a quarterback in the second round to make Russell Wilson angry and play well, like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. But I mean, I don't think they're going to draft the quarterback this year, but I am curious as to who John Schneider picks next. Uh, I would imagine that person would be a top three round pick. And I, I, I want to see what he's able to do with it. I, I hope he gets that opportunity to pick, pick the next quarterback, but I hope it's no time soon. You know, I, I hope we get to see a lot more Russell Wilson before we get to that point. I would just say that I think John Schneider deserves the benefit of the doubt, given some of the quarterbacks that he has evaluated over the last couple of years and seems to have been on the right side of specifically Josh Allen, who I thought sucked in college. I thought he was awful. I, I remember <laughs> I was, I was doing a, a job application for a place in Portland while I was in Houston <laughs> And I watched an Oregon Ducks game and it was Oregon versus Wyoming. And the entire show that I did, like I did like a little mock show for them. And the entire show, I was just ripping Josh Allen. Cause I thought I was like, this is, <laughs> this guy's a disaster. Like this guy's a pro prospect. who's the worst player on the field. He's been awesome over the past year. It's mm. crazy. Sometimes how your evaluations, you look at a guy and you're like, I can see through all the bad stuff on the field. I see the, the traits that he has. So um, yeah, we'll see. We will see on that front, but um it is definitely a relationship that I think it gets mischaracterized by a lot of people nationally. I, I think that it is a partnership. Yeah, I, I agree. And also, I, I do kind of want to see what Schneider can do in without Peak. I think it would be how yeah. quick. I mean, look how quickly they got to work in 2010 when they both got to town. It could be somewhat similar in 2024 or whenever Peak's contract runs out, Adam. Yeah, jumping back to uh, the media side, we've been quite disparate going from team to media, but. The NFL is probably as big a bastion of American society and civilization yeah. as there is, yeah, uh, for, for better or for worse. But 15 years or so ago, they thrust the league and made it international on the UK. And we now have games. You're now talking to a UK podcast. And I know for a fact there's people that listen to our pod that listen to your show on a, on a daily basis. Is there any kind of – even – 
acceptance isn't the right word, but do you ever guys think about how much your brand as a, as people that talk about American football is expanding with the way in which the game is growing worldwide? I, I have, I have questions about how, how viable that ability to expand will be. I really Mm -hmm. do. And I, I mean, for you guys, I would imagine the average human being walking down the street is caring a lot more about what Manchester United or what Chelsea is doing. And my limit, my knowledge of, uh, <laughs> you know, English football is, is limited, but um, I, I picked Everton back in the day and I was like, Oh crap, that was a terrible choice. I liked Tim Howard and I liked Lukaku and I liked the, uh, uh, who was the other dude that was playing for them? I forget, but whatever the case, I think Landon Donovan had played there back in the days. But uh, um, you know, I imagine like for you guys, like that's, that's a soccer yeah, what we call soccer and, and a sport that does not seem to have, and I could be wrong on this, but if you're not playing the actual sport growing up and haven't been playing the sport growing up, I, I just don't think it has the same attachment. And th- that's what I wonder about with this, try to, with this desire to expand it to Europe, like in basketball, basketball's everywhere. Uh, football, you know, non-American football is a global game too. Weirdly, our most popular sport is a sport that's played pretty much nowhere else. And I think there is interest elsewhere. And of course you have expats everywhere too. So there will be some, I think fan support there, but I really do wonder about the viability of like a team, maybe moving across the pond and, 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 you know, it seems like the, the Jaguars or as y'all call them the Jaguar, which I love the way that that word is said in, in, uh, in those commercials. Um, I wonder how that will work. I mean, I think there would be some people uh, as far as players who would be really interested to go play overseas. I'm not going to lie. I, uh, you know, someone I, I grew up thinking I always wanted to live in, in the same country, but now th- there have been times where I've been like, you know, I would be, I'd be very curious to see what it's like to live in another country. And I think there might be some guys who are like, yeah, yeah. I'd love to go overseas and like expand my brand in like London and, and more global cities and stuff like that. But it is strange the way that the expansion is setting itself up. I would think that, they would be more interested in paving a Avenue to Canada or paving an Avenue to Mexico. And instead, yeah, they're going across the ocean entirely. And it sort of feels like someone who studied a class in, in college that's about sports management and feels almost like the owners are trying to find a way so that they can all have a little trip to London once a year or twice a year, <laughs> multiple times a year. And, you know, if you take a look at uh, the way that they determine Olympic bid cities very often it has to do with bribery one duh, but two the family of those people in the IOC where they want to go and I like spend a vacation it's weird <laughs> stuff all goes down so I wonder I, it would be cool to see a team across the pond though and if it ever gets me another chance to go to England I haven't been there since um shoot like 2003 four five yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> Got to go across. Got to go across the pond. The the groundworks are definitely being set. They have NFL Academy over here. They have the pathway, so obviously FA. Pathway, right? Yeah. FA Bad is now signed for the Bills. And Christian Wade is still at the Bills as well, mm-hmm. who just give up a rugby career smartly because he played for a garbage club who played in the wrong city. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, uh, see, so yeah, the, the groundwork is being laid. But the next step is the biggest one to take, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, and travel-wise, how do you do it where these guys aren't dead? 
every single week? Are you going to add another bye week? Is every single team that plays against a team that has to go on the road and, and, and overseas, are they going to have a bye week before every single one of those games? Like the travel side of it's, I think logistically the most difficult part. And since concords don't exist anymore, um, you know, travel is going to be a bit of a, bit of a nightmare I'd imagine for them, at least at this point in time. Now, maybe, I don't know, maybe these Tesla things that uh, Elon Musk is designing are about to change the world. But honestly, if I'm a football player, I don't think I want to get on one of those rockets. I mean, as, as it happens, I think the horse may have bolted when it comes to a team because they put a lot of money into expanding it. There's a TV channel specifically for the NFL here. And I kind of feel like everyone's picked their team now. Um, you know, if the, if the team, if London gets a team, I'm a Seahawks fan and I'll go to the London team you know, when I've got nothing else to do. But, um, you know, Stu and I stay up till 5.30 in the morning, six or seven times every season to watch the games live, you know, and, and every home game starts at 9.30 p.m. And that, there's that, that goes for thousands of us over here in the UK. So I do wonder if the horse may have bolted when it comes to a team. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting just to, to see how you guys feel about the, the growing, the way I have no the sport's growing. You know, I, I, I think it would be really cool to see, like, this has always been my favorite league since I was a little boy. Uh, and I would love to see it in different places, but I, I do wonder where it would go. I do, I do wonder what it could come at the expense of as, as someone who, um, you know, growing up in Massachusetts, I mean, that, that the Patriots were such a joke. They almost moved to St. Louis in 1993, uh, Houston, where I lived, People don't like the Texans that much because they are the like replacement dog mm. for the dog that got stolen. Uh, the, you know, no one in Houston likes the Tennessee Titans because that is, that is the Houston Oilers. They won't even let the Oilers have their history back in Houston. They won't let them have their uniforms, their colors back. Uh, to me, I think that is a travesty. And I mean, we've seen teams leave and, you know, there's a part of me where I, I, I don't joke. I want to take a basketball team away from another city, but I do wonder all right, if you're going to move a team from like a, from a fan base that really wants it, what, what's going to happen now, Jacksonville, I, I really don't know. I don't know what to make of Jacksonville. I think there's interest in Jacksonville now. Um, but as someone who's lived in Florida, Florida is generally more of a college, uh, college sport fan uh, experience. It's more about Florida, Florida state and all those other sec schools. Um, the team, they're going to have to be very careful about what team they pick to, make that jump, but it does feel, I, I think you guys are right. It does feel like they have really um, created a channel for a team to go over. And it feels like the most likely one is the Jaguars. I'm actually curious who overseas and, and, and who in, 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 in England and in the United Kingdom, who is the most popular team it, NFL it probably team. is the Jaguars because they have so many home games here yeah and then you've got the grandfathered in ones from the 80s when they first tried to come over here with the Packers the Niners the Dolphins uh, okay. because uh, it's recent success as well so the Seahawks seem to be growing uh, like I see a lot more Seahawks bobble hats during the winter than I did hmm. three four years ago nice but nice. yeah it's, but yeah because because the Jaguars have had I think maybe 10 or 10 or 11 home games here now. And they do yeah. the merchandise well. And there's a lot of people here that just adopt the Jaguars as their team. Yeah. Yeah. They finally have good uniforms again, too. My God, those yeah. two-tone helmet things were disgusting. <laughs> Absolutely. They have puke on the back of their head. And, and a good quarterback in about three and a half weeks. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Exciting. It's going to happen. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, so one thing you talked about basketball being played everywhere. It's probably of the major American sports. It's probably the one which has the smallest uptake over here, isn't it? I mean, baseball has started playing a weekend of games over here at the Olympic Stadium. Yeah. Fifty odd thousand. It's it sold out all two or three games they played last year. I think they're coming over this summer as well. So, but the basketball kind of they it have doesn't a game. Do it. it doesn't have it for some reason, and it, 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 we've got you know such a you know diverse population and so many different nationalities over here that do play basketball. It just seems very strange that it hasn't it's, taken off. It really that has been a surprise to me too. And uh, two of my best friends in college, they actually put together this European basketball website. So they were just watching European basketball every single night. Uh, one of them has turned into like a scout and the other one has turned into basically an assistant coach. He spent time in China. Um, but they, I always ask them like random questions from time to time about it. And they never said anything about a team in England. And I was just mm-hmm. like, man, that just seems like it would be such a common sense spot for a lot of maybe Americans who are coming overseas. They don't make it in the NBA it feels like a place where they actually speak English would be a great place to go <laughs> and to ha- perhaps develop it. So yeah, that, that, that has been surprising to me. And again, from afar, not as, not as informed on it as you guys are about the idea of uh, basketball, not really picking up the way that it could there. You're right. I mean, I, I went to London. I, I don't think I've ever been in a more international feeling city. Mm-hmm. I, I remember just walking the streets one day and I, and um, I was only 15. So I, but I just remember thinking to myself, wow, I think that, I think I see someone from every single continent within like a hundred feet of me right now, yeah. <laughs> possibly even Antarctica. Oh, easily. So- I mean, you, you, there's uh, there's been articles where people have watched a World Cup game with every nationality in oh, the man. World Cup in London, um, and it's neighborhood to neighborhood. I mean, and, and I put my flag firmly in the ground, and that is a fantastic thing for this yeah. country and this city to be so uh, diverse. Along with that, continue. Very cool. Uh, yeah, uh, so, uh, so Adam, we should move on to our regular thing. Which Let's I hope Danny, I asked, I asked Danny to prep you for, so I hope he he has. Uh, it's we we do a thing every week if he hasn't called Get in the Bin. Um, that I think Get Danny said bin. after he came on the pod, he said it was the most English thing of the entire conversation he had with us. I love that um, saying, Get in yeah, the Bin. So it, it does it, seem it, like something Danny would love, yeah. So <laughs> it's it's basically someone or something which is just annoying, you just can't kind of want to get rid of for the week it is a feature we started and then podcasts all over the spot are doing it now as well not as well okay. as the original obviously i think i think we'd be happy to license it officially to 710 if they yeah if yeah, they yeah, really, yeah. Uh, yeah maybe it's enough we couldn't refuse uh, okay. but i'll tell you what paul what we'll do is we'll, we'll go and then we'll give you a bit of chance to kind of get the vibe of it and, and go from there so okay my, all right my, i'll sit back yeah, so my, my one this week, and it, you know, it's been coming, but eventually it's been announced that we've got the 17th game in the NFL. And for a number of reasons, I just think it's a travesty. And the two main ones are records are so great in sport. And the thing, you know, the benchmarks of 2,000-yard rushing, 5,000-yard passing or whatever, for me, when it goes to a 17-game season, the whole thing goes out the window, let alone the panic that Jeff Fisher is going to have that if he ever comes back, he can't take a team seven or nine or nine or seven or eight, eight and eight. He hasn't got that symmetry to deal off. And the second thing is something that we're talking about why I think football is so popular over here, American football, is that it's 16 game season. A lot of people end up starting watching in the middle of a season and all of a sudden it's finished. And you've got then a nine month frenzy to build up to the excitement for the next 
16 game blast and yeah it's only one more game but we know that 17 will soon become 18 and eventually that might become 19 or 20 and I just think that sometimes these sports team uh, leagues need to realize that what they've got one of the reasons it's so popular is the scarcity and more games doesn't make things better and you know soccer over here could certainly learn a lesson from that but uh, I think it's a real shame what the NFL are doing because I, I think they're, they're actually going to damage their product in the long term more than they're going to benefit it with this yeah, every, every every league in the world, every sport in the world, if you know, every league in the world should have an even number of games played, an even number of teams, and somehow an even number of games. They've got an even number of teams play an even number of games. The only exception is cricket, and a five test yeah. match series is the best. Best of seven in American sport playoffs is the best, but leagues should be even numbers. And for that, it's just, yeah, it's a travesty. But also, there was someone tweeted the other day about the ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal. Once it gets <laughs> freed up, it's someone's <laughs> got the perfect opportunity to do the funniest thing anyone's ever done, and that's obviously get another ship. Do it again. <laughs> um, Je- Jeff Fisher coming back, and I think our, uh, our pal Jackson Bevins tweeted earlier that uh, Jeff Fisher will come back, get to eight, eight and eight and then retire would be just the funniest thing anyone's ever done. That would be very funny. Very true. Paul, any thoughts on the 17 game season? It, it stinks to me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's annoying, but it, I mean, it was going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've accepted it. Uh, I accepted it probably a couple of years ago. I knew it was going to come at some point. I'm, I'm glad that we got to wait as long as we did. I, I will say, I, I think I was more worked up about, the seven teams making it into the playoffs than I was mm-hmm. actually about the 17 game schedule when I first figured it was going to be on the docket. I think that the way that they're setting it up where one conference has all of the home games and the other conference has all the road games is the only way that you can try to establish some sort of balance. But yeah, this is just so that they can add the 18th game and look, the, the players don't like it. I, I feel for them. They don't really have any bargaining power here. Like the owners are always going to have a, uh, have multiple fists over them because there's so many players and there's so many guys who aren't able physically able to sit out and waste a year potentially of their career to make a point. And until we get to a point where there's going to be guys willing to sit out a year for the greater good than, or for the league's greater good or for the players greater good, at least as it's portrayed to them. Yeah. So I could definitely see 20 games at some point. I will say the one good thing that the NFL has going for it and, and most football American football has going for it. One game a week, I think is perfect. Yes. And I, and I feel like even if there are more games for, for the premier league, what is it about one, one to two games a week or so? Yeah. I think that's the perfect amount. I, I think I think soccer actually, in, in even with uh, Major League Soccer here, I think they they do a very good job of it. I, I like one to two games a week. It's more of an event. Baseball's hard, 162 games. Uh, I, I basketball was just, too. I was just about to ask, you know, I don't know much about baseball at all, so you two, I'll have to defer to your two knowledge on that, but you have five or six different pitches in your roster wouldn't it be better just to have the best pitcher against the best pitcher every week and one game every Saturday, Sunday with 40,000 people in the stands? Like, what are we getting from 162 <laughs> games? Who cares? You know, 
I love it, but the, the then it, it minimizes the importance of pitching if it's just one guy, you know? Like, it's, hey, do you have the best one? It would almost turn it into the NFL where, hey, do you have a great quarterback? And if you mm-hmm. have a great quarterback, you're set. It would be in baseball, hey, do you have one of the best pitchers? Oh, you're set. So, uh, interesting idea, definitely. I would love less games, seriously. I, I don't like baseball that much. I don't. Mm-hmm. I uh, It's my, by far, third favorite sport. And honestly, if soccer was... If the major league soccer league was not kind of a joke, I, I think I would probably like soccer a little bit more than baseball, but uh, yes. Well, on the MLS, I went to the Sounders Dallas playoff game 18 months ago and it was the worst three, three draw I've ever watched. <laughs> and also what one of the guys I went with shout out Andy Robinson said it was like being at something which everything was familiar, but everything else was different. It's like, it perfect. It was weird. Um, yeah, mine is, I feel a bit bad because I know he's had his health issues. It's Chris Mortensen, who seems to be leading a one-man band charge to get Matt Jones drafted by either the Jets or the 49ers. Everything he has tweeted this week has been banging the drum for Matt Jones, which if the Niners do all that to get Matt Jones is potentially hilarious because Justin Fields' Trey Lance would be uh, terrifying. But it's just, it's just like it's so clear. It's it might be Mortensen's opinion, but it just seems like it's the clearest way of Matt Jones is leaning on Matt Jones's agent, whoever that may be, is leaning on um, someone so established in sports media to get the drum banging. And as someone tweeted with Justin Fields earlier, everyone is just overthinking everything with those two, three, four picks in this draft, and it's going to get excruciating for the next three and a half weeks. Yeah. Well, do you do you ever get uh, you know little nuggets that are fed to you because people would l- really like something being discussed on air? I have not, but I think it's because I think I think people know that I would be like, yeah, I know you're trying to get me to do something for uh-huh. you. But I hope that's the case. It also might be because like people are like, oh, who's this jackass? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, it might be honestly. I don't. I uh, I haven't had anything like that here. Um, in Houston, I had a couple of people that like re- reached out of like, Hey, like, can you have me on for this, this, this? And I'm like, nah, nah, nah. But I, I don't know. I probably should have in some of those situations, you know, I'll scratch <laughs> your back. They scratched mine, but I guess I just never want to do the scratch <laughs> the first scratching to get the eventual back scratch back. Uh, anyone for your bin? Recipient? Yes. Put them in the bin. All right. Let's do it. Pro days are so stupid. <laughs> NFL pro days. That's a great one. The amount of stock that we put into these stupid guys running around in their shorts. Whoa, Zach Wilson just threw a pass 64 yards while running in the other direction. Now he's the number two overall pick. Today we have Mac Jones. Oh, Mac Jones, we saw a little bit of his belly. He looks kind of fat. Does he work out? And then he misses two throws, and you see both Bill Belichick and Kyle Shanahan look at him like they're two dads that just saw their son let them down in the middle of a Little League game, and now they're not going to get fed dinner or something like that after the fact it's one of those things where we put so much stock into it but everyone should just go back in time to that moment in time where johnny manzel was having a pro day and there's a dude chasing him with a broom a broom (laughs) and we acted like him running away from a broom and he was going to be a great quarterback and yet we do this every single year wow kyle bowler threw a pass from one knee 60 yards which is really cool 
guess what? Doesn't mean a darn thing. And that Zach Wilson throw, it was really cool. But the people that were getting all excited about Zach Wilson, and now he's supposedly the number two overall pick, and I feel like a lot of that has to do with his most recent pro day experience as opposed to any actual valuation of the guy. That's been driving me a little bit crazy of late. So there you go. That's uh, great. Oh, Pro days, throw him in the bin. There you go. Uh, also, <laughs> that Bill Belichick clip is the funniest thing that's happened. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> the timing of it. It's like a Larry David joke, like in Curb. It's, it's perfect. Um, also, last week, Adam put four-figured heights in the bin. So it's kind of along the Yeah, six, zero, five, one. No one knows what that means. And it needs to be... <laughs> banished yeah. immediately <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you say that about the the zach or the mac jones you know tummy thing or whatever because the scouts get older every year but it's the same people and the same talking heads in general that talk about guys that but unfortunately the guys that they're talking about are the same age and that yeah. gap is growing and growing and growing and in all society 60-year-old men are going to find it more difficult to speak about and to the mindset of 22-year-old men. And I, I wonder if, like, when you talk about someone like Mina Kimes, as revolutionary figure, in my opinion, when it comes to talking about the NFL, it, it, it feels a bit harsh, but a lot of the, these people that are just too old to talk about the mindset of young people, yeah. you hate to say it, they might need to get in the bin as well. Yeah, I mean, and you know, we we've we've seen it from guys like Bill Polian, who I'm not a fan of. I think he ruined the NFL uh, with the five yard contact rule because his receivers couldn't get off a jam. Oh, we can't beat the Patriots, <laughs> and they score three points the next year. Good job, Bill. Every because the league has just gone crazy with passing numbers since then. But um, yeah, I I I understand where you're coming from with that, and I I, I think that. I, I think some people are good at it. I try to stay good at it. Honestly, who knows? I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm going to be 32 in like a couple of weeks. And I, I hope that I am still being able to reach these kids, but I are, at times do feel like I'm, you know, that, that, um, meme of Steve Buscemi with the <laughs> skateboard over his shoulder. Oh, how you doing? You fellow kids. Um, who is the guy at the combine that does his own 40 yard dash? Is it Charlie? Not Charlie. Yeah, Rich was. Eisen. No, no, Charlie Cassidy. Was Charlie. Charlie Cassidy, who does his own timing yeah. in the stands. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, like come on. Now, what are we doing yeah. here? Yeah. Yeah. There, there is an element of, oh, I did this back in the day, and this is how I used to do it. And I think that the, la the I think a lot of guys struggle accepting the, the way that things are done now. And I mean, I, I think that's natural for all humans. I mean, right? Sure. I mean, music it's almost always what you grew up listening to. And yeah, you might be able to bring in some other different genres of music along the way, but you're not going to be as into it as the people that are growing up around that music. And it just continues and it continues and it continues. And I, I think it also comes to the way that you, you know, look at this time of year. I, I will say this is probably my least favorite time of the year for the NFL, even though there's a lot of action. Cause I find draft the way that the draft is covered. I think it's done in a way to, grab attention as opposed to honest evaluation. And, and, and I will say there are certain places, I think that the ringer uh, and, and specifically what Danny Kelly has been doing yeah. with the, mm -hmm. the draft rankings, my God, that is just a beautifully created website and template that you can look like in, in great detail at prospects or, or, you know, glance over them if, if you so choose. But this time of year, you'll see all these mock drafts out there. Some people just trying to fit, you know, players that they would like to see on a team to those teams as the draft goes further and further along. But there's also just mock drafts that are clearly trying to get attention by changing who's number one at the top. And 
I, I, I almost entirely dislike draft coverage, even though I know there are some really great people that cover the draft, whether it's, you know, two of my old friends back in Houston, um, John Harris, who is the uh, Texan sideline reporter and uh, Lance Zerline, who, you know, worked at uh, the competing station with me. We did a one show together before I was told that I had to stop doing shows with that one station. Long story. Uh, he worked <laughs> at the NFL network and um, he, uh, I think he does a fantastic job of breaking it down, but the way that, there's just so much stuff that's thrown out there over these next couple of weeks. And I'm sort of like, you know what? I just want to see the draft play out and I don't want to get too many opinions about prospects that I know that I haven't watched that much of based off of the eyes of other guys. I, I kind of would rather just see what happens and, mm. and, and evaluate it from there. Cause you run the risk of, you know, falling in love with a guy that you've watched a couple of times and be like, Oh yeah, that guy's good. And then next thing you know, you're like, Oh wait, all my evaluations of college players are wrong. So <laughs> this time of year is interesting. That's for sure. I can't wait for the draft though, even though the Seahawks have like three picks. Three picks. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, doing mock drafts on all the different websites you can do as a Seahawk fan this year is boring. <laughs> just you're, just yeah. watching, you're just watching the go from one to 270 <laughs> really quickly. And watch um, them trade back out of that pick too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah before we start recording, you, you you described yourself as a uh, home food cooking. Obviously, Adam is oh, yeah. um, a caterer by trade. What's, we've asked a few people, we had Adam Amin on last year who gave a food take of a food I've still never heard of. Was it strawberry vanilla? It was, it was weird. It was like a pretzel, pretzel cake thing. Cake pretzel. I think it was a Thanksgiving thing. Yeah. Uh, I've never yeah. Heard. That was the same reaction that we had, Paul, uh, but, I think. Um, Madre Harper, who was on the Giants, said he didn't like coconuts. Uh, Jessamine, mm. uh, or coconut, uh, Jessamine said that she hated mortadello ham. Yeah, mortadella sausage. Um, which is something I come across in my day job every day, and it makes me laugh every day when I see it on the <laughs> shelf. Um, what, what's, what, what's your, what's your go-to thing to cook, and what's a controversial or food take Ooh, thing you have? I have, have so many controversial ones. So let's start <laughs> off. I don't like cheese um, at all. I, I'll tolerate it on pizza, but I will pick some of it off. I like the tomato sauce on pizza much more than I like the cheese on pizza. I can't explain this one other than I used to eat bags of mozzarella cheese as a little kid. And one time it was moldy and I got sick and then I had pizza again and the pizza had basil on it and I saw the green and I just was kind of grossed out by it forever. Then someone told me that cheese is actual mold. And I was like, Ugh. It also doesn't help me now that I'm a little bit lactose intolerant, which is something I've developed later in life. So that's that's always a bit of a factor too. But it's really like just a psychological thing. Chocolate, I also don't like. Why? I don't know because I love Guinness and I love coffee and pretty much anything that tastes similar, I do like. Heck, there's even this chocolate protein powder that doesn't actually taste like chocolate that I like. But this also stems back from a psychological childhood incident where I loved cinnamon raisin cookies as a kid. My mom bought home uh, uh, Shaw's brand as a grocery store in uh, Southern Massachusetts um, bag of oatmeal raisin cookies. I thought they were oatmeal raisin cookies bit into it. It was an oatmeal chocolate chip cookie. I cried the rest of the day. Uh, if it was a Hershey's, yeah. if it was Hershey's chocolate, then that's totally acceptable because Hershey's is <laughs> the worst tasting thing on the planet. So we'll, we'll allow that one. I, I don't know if it was Hershey's chocolate, whatever the case it was. Yeah, it's cheese and chocolate. I'm uh, not the biggest fan of. Um, 
actually, no, I just, I just, I don't like chocolate and, and cheese. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I, I don't like to have cheese on anything. Um, other than that, without straying too far away from the, the focal point of this pod, I've heard that the food scene in Houston is terrific. It's the best. It is the best. It's the best. It's the best. It's the best. Cause there's a real, there's a real mix of cultures there, isn't there? Everything. It, it is. There is Anthony Bourdain did an episode there. And I think he did a really good job of getting the full vibes there. There's barbecue, there's Tex-Mex. There's an unbelievable um, Chinatown and, and Asian cuisine, whether mm. it's uh, Vietnamese or, or anything. And, um, and then, I mean, you just got your old fashioned, uh, you know, brisket, barbecue, and of course you got Italian food everywhere. It's, 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 I think Houston is a, melting pot that you wouldn't think of mm-hmm. but it's i i love that city uh with a passion it's not a place i would recommend visiting weirdly you kind of have to know people but i i love that place um so much and yeah the food is out of this world it yeah, is think, so good i think david chang did an interview i uh, did an episode on ugly delicious there uh, and again, Houston for me, if someone says you know, Houston, I just think quintessential American big road city with high rise buildings, but it really opened my eyes to what an amazing place it looks like it could be. So many fast food options too. I lived with, I lived within a mile of two Chick-fil-A's and two <laughs> Whataburgers and Whataburger in Texas is like what in and out is to Californians. It's the localized uh, fast food place. They have these, these very unique looking buildings uh, that are like checkered orange and white. Um, it's, uh, it's okay, but they swear by it down there. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's one of many different options that you have. I can see why so many people <laughs> pack on some pounds when they move to Texas. It's a, it's a tasty place. Yeah. Also, then Seattle, they've got their own dicks, which is something I've never actually had <laughs> over my five or six. Yeah. yeah, my five or six trips out there, I've never been to. Never been, no, never, never been, been either. Don't know why. It's no. okay. I mean, it's it, you know, it's pretty much like your local fast food chain. Yeah. And I just get a kick out of people. Someone when I first moved here, and I said, "Oh, I'm going to go uh, get some fast food at Dicks," and they're like, "Oh, you're going to get a bag of Dicks, eh?" And I was like, "Huh, <laughs> that's classic." Funny. Uh, classic, <laughs> classic humor uh, so yeah massively appreciate you taking the time out of your no day Actually, you, you spent like four hours on the radio earlier than you spent over an hour with us two uh, as you back. can tell I don't shut up and I have no friends <laughs> I, I presume I Laura told you about the home and home so we're on your show for four hours tomorrow morning yeah. I think that was yeah. the deal there. sure you just <laughs> I'm not even going to do anything you guys can do the whole thing for me <laughs> <I love that>. <laughs> uh, so where can people uh, uh, watch your conversation with Seahawks Twitter and then obviously catch you on socials and maybe tune in of an afternoon over here to your, yours and Danny's show. Uh, so I, I have a YouTube channel. I'm trying to put up as many clips from the shows on 710 in addition to the getting to know Seahawks Twitter. Um, it's up on uh, youtube.com slash Paul Gallant. Um, also on Twitter at Gallant says I have a crappy Instagram account that is essentially the same thing. It's just me posting like clips of myself, but occasionally I post fun things. It's like at Seattle sports, Paul P a W L. If you like Facebook, facebook.com slash Paul Gallant sports. Basically I just post all the same stuff to every single one of these avenues. <laughs> and occasionally I ramble and have some thoughts, less thoughts these days, seeing as Twitter's a hellscape, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> luckily there's less politics on it, at least uh, compared to where that was the last like four years before that. But um, 
Yeah. And guys, thank you so much, Stu and Adam. This was a lot of fun. Anytime you guys want to have me on, seriously, don't be a stranger. I'm, I would love to do this again. This was an absolute blast. No worries. I say appreciate and uh, enjoy going to a sporting event over the weekend. Yes. Let's go. Very jealous. (laughs) Although it's baseball. So. But it's, it's sports. It's like sports. <laughs> I, what I, can I mean, Safeco Field is one of the most unbelievable oh. stadiums I've been in. I, I, I haven't yeah. been for Mariners game. Me and Adam did a tour. I think when we first met Adam over yeah, it was it was two seven days before, years ago. It was two days before that Raiders game that we did a um, tour of uh, Safeco Field. I went 18 months ago. I saw the Who and Liam Gallagher there the night before the Ravens game at Central Inkfield. Yep. Uh, yeah, 50, 50, wow. what worked out of 45 pound for tickets to see the who over here is 140 quid for like row ZZ. But anyway, uh, pe- people want to get in touch with podcasts, they can all use your means and methods, uh, patreon.com forward slash the pedestrian podcast. A massive thanks to the few new people we have on there. Max Lang, uh, Maura Dooley signed up after the Doug Baldwin, um, pod, which was very much appreciated. And Mark Christensen over the weekend joined up. They joined Brogan Casper, Dan Cohen, Nick Wright, Gerard Sherry, Harry Craig, Will Travers, and Dave Sayers. Massive thanks, Paul. This has been the Pedestrian Podcast. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. <laughs>